I want you to get your Bibles out, and I want you to get a journal if you have one. If you don't have a journal, you can get the backside of the worship guide. There are, there's a place to take notes. And I think taking notes, listening, um, your, your, your retention increases as you write things down. And here's the hope, that you won't just write down what I'm saying to you, although uh, I have studied and prepared and tried to make it as good as I can this week. The issue is the Holy Spirit will speak to you. The Spirit of God will speak to you, and you need to be ready to write that down and to listen to what he's saying to you. As you know, we've been in a series called uh, the Book of Philippians. We're, we're going through the Book of Philippians, and we've, we've titled it The Secret to Being Content. The Secret to Being Content. And I believe that as we look at the Scriptures, as we look at this book, this letter, it's a very personal letter from the Apostle Apostle Paul to the Philippian believers in Philippi. He loves them. He's affectionate towards them. We can learn a lot about how we're supposed to live because these Philippian believers are undergoing persecution and they're struggling and the Apostle Paul is writing to them and coaching them on what to do. So we'll, we'll read first, if you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, and we'll read kind of our cornerstone scripture for this series Let's read it together. It's Philippians 4, and we'll start in verse 10. We'll read all the way through 13. Here's what it says. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Don't you want to be saying that? Don't you want to learn how to be content no matter what you're facing? I know I do. And so I think the secrets to the Apostle Paul's contentment is located within this letter. And so as we go through this letter, we're, we're emphasizing lessons that we can learn about how to be content in what Jesus is doing in our lives. And so let's turn over to chapter 2 because that's where we've left off last week. Chapter 2 verse 19, what we've just studied is an entire passage about who Jesus is and what he's done and how he has humbled himself and we're encouraged to have the same attitude that Jesus had. And as we go from this very full, theologically rich section, there is a temptation for me to push past the next section and go on to the next theologically meaningful uh, uh, material that is in Philippians 3. But as I was reading through this letter, I, I couldn't get away from this little section. I think there is a tendency to sort of overlook it as personal remarks from the Apostle Paul. It's just personal remarks about about two guys, two incredible men. And their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus. Ooh, nice. Everybody say it with me. Epaphroditus. Ooh, one more time. Epaphroditus. I like to call them Tim and Pap. It's just easier to say it that way. These two guys are amazing in the way 
that they are described. The Apostle Paul is their mentor. The Apostle Paul is their partner in the gospel. They have developed an incredible friendship, not just with the Apostle Paul, but with all of the Philippian believers. And what I want you to understand today, what we want to look at today, is not just some nice personal remarks from the Apostle Paul, but we want to see how the Apostle Paul is helping us to look into his view, his opinion of what relationships are supposed to be like. How contentment may come through the power of the friends that we have. How satisfaction may come upon our hearts as we find meaning and purpose in the environment of a community of friends, of a community of believers, people who know us and we know them. And so I want us to read this passage, and I want you to begin to think about, I want you to read past just the the comments to understanding what the Apostle Paul might have for us today. So start in verse 19. It's a new section, and it says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive good news about you. I have no one else like him. I want you to underline that little phrase. Underline that. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He's describing an environment here. He's describing what the culture is like. He's describing, in many ways, what our culture looks like. Everyone is interested in their own interests. Everyone's consumed in their own interest, not in the interests of Jesus Christ. But that's Timothy. Timothy is interested in Jesus, but that causes him to be interested in others. See, because if you were listening for the last few weeks, what we've talked about is how the interests of Jesus is the interest of others. If you're consumed with Christ... If Christ lives in your life, if you follow him, then what is automatic, what is part of your journey is accepting the burden of others, of friend, the friendship of others, the love and the care and the compassion and the community of friends. And so he says about Timothy, he says, he looks, everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know, see, they know Timothy. Timothy was there at the birth of the church. Timothy has a history. Timothy has a reputation. Everybody say reputation. Reputation. The question that we all have to ask ourselves is, do we have a reputation like Timothy's? Or do we have some other kind of reputation? What is your reputation with others? What is your reputation with the friends around you? And this is an amazing thing for the Apostle Paul to say about Timothy. He says, you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things will go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come home soon. Now look, if we're looking at this passage, what we see is the Apostle Paul is in jail and he's writing this letter. And he longs to see these Philippian believers, these believers at Philippi. And he's saying to them, I'm going to send Timothy to you because he's the best thing for you. 
<clears throat> he, he says, I'm going to send him back to you because they already knew his reputation. And he says, he says this interesting thing. He says, Timothy will care for you, for your needs. He's identifying him as a son. He's identifying him as a father-son relationship. He's saying, you know that Timothy will do all the things that I do. Timothy will do exactly what I've done with you. He, like, like a son, he's my son in the faith. And so it's, it's, uh, it's important to hear through the, the lens. Uh, that was a mixing of metaphors, wasn't it? It's important to hear through the filter and see through the lens. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> how, the, how the believers at Philippi would have heard that. Really, all around the world, in cultures around the world, what we see is we see fathers and sons in a family business, in family work. And the father is the expert, and as the sons and daughters grow up, they participate in the family work. They become apprentices. They become part of the working. And that's the way that the Apostle Paul is describing Timothy. He's part of the family of God and the work that we do. And so what happens in an apprentice type of dynamic with a, in, in a culture, we don't do this a lot in Western culture, but in many, many other cultures, they come up into the business and they become experts in themselves. How does this happen? It happens because they are watching and copying. That's how it works. They watch an expert work, and then they copy exactly what he's doing. Really, this idea of watching and copying is how all expertise, how all information is shared. Watching and copying. You know as well as I do with your kids that it's not what you say that actually makes a difference. It's actually what you do because they're going to watch what you model. Whatever you model, that's what gets into them. Well, you could say all kinds of stuff, but they're going to take your worst characteristics <laughs> and they're going to demonstrate them to you times 10. <laughs> that's really what it is, because is they're forming, they're being shaped. And your model of what you do both good and the bad, they're going to see it. The way, the way the gospel is transferred, the way that disciples are made is by watching and copying. Watching and copying, which means you got to be with people enough to be able to see what they're doing and to copy them. That's the kind of relationship that Paul and Timothy had. Relationships that were so intertwined and so connected that they grew together. They became experts in the work of God together. I had a funny illustration this morning about our kids saying the things that we say <laughs> and uh, doing the things that we do. Of course, I'm, I'm so proud of my two oldest boys who are leading worship in JV Tag and how they, I, I, I see them leading worship. I see them playing the guitar and just leading others into the presence of God and it's so amazing. I haven't given them a ton of instruction. I haven't told them, I haven't wanted to push them into the family business, if you will. <laughs> I wanted God to do that and it appears that he is doing it. 
Uh, and and uh, so I haven't given them exact instruction in some of that, but they've, they, it's been revealed to them. They've been watching, and they're just copying. Yeah. It's a pretty cool thing to watch. My little son, Owen, because then there's these other things. My son, my son Owen, who is uh, four years old, he came in. Him, him and Ethan, they have, um, they have bunk beds, so they often wake up together. And they come in early in the morning a lot of times, and I was there getting ready this morning in our bedroom, and then um, my, my wife was there, and he, <laughs> he came, they came in, and, you know, they kind of skip into the bedroom and, you know, uh, wide awake and ready to take on the day. And, and my wife has this thing that she does with my kids, and it's like this thing when she sees them, she says, she says, you come here, you come here. And she hugs them. And <laughs> it works till about they're 12, but she still does it. <laughs> you come here. And she kisses them and hugs them. And it was so funny. Owen comes and bounds into the bedroom this morning, and he jumps up on the bed and he says, Mama, you come here, you come here, you come here. It was so sweet. It was this, he has heard that a hundred times, and it's in him. And so what I want to paint a picture for you today is how we are to be as the body of Christ, how we are to be watching and copying, how we are to be caring for people, how we are to create an atmosphere where people can, can be raised up in the message of the life, the miracle of Jesus and that's got to happen intentionally. I want to talk about that. If you, if you go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, why don't you turn over there real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to notice something. This is a letter to Timothy, right? So this is the guy we're talking about. And you see the Apostle Paul, and he's speaking to Timothy. Many, many Bible scholars believe that this is the final book of the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy. Now, in Philippians, he was, he was writing to Philippian believers. He was talking about Timothy. Here, he's writing a letter directly to Timothy. And he says to him in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You then, my son, notice his son, that intimate bond, that connection. He says, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I want you to see the four generations that are in, in that verse. Four generations of people that we need to think. We need to think like this in the body of Christ. We need to think like this at one chapel. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. He says, I want you to be strong in what God's given you. Boy, don't we all need somebody cheering us on? Man, if you don't have anybody in your life cheering you on, it can be so hard, so difficult to make it. We all need somebody to cheer us on, and we all need to be cheering somebody else on. That's what we see with the Apostle Paul. He says here in verse 2, the things you've heard me say, that's the first generation. You can, you can underline it. You can put a little number at each generation in your, in your Bible. You, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. So you heard me say it. All these witnesses were here. That's the second generation of people. Then there's a third generation of people. He says, entrust to reliable people. Reliable people. I want you to underline those two words. Reliable people. God wants to entrust his message to reliable people. Who then will turn around and, and, and teach others. Teaching others. There's four generations there of people that the Apostle Paul sees in his mind's eye, in his heart, as he's encouraging the work of Timothy. 
often we don't lift our eyes far enough from our own interests to look at the fourth generation that we're trying to build. We have to. On this Family Sunday, it's important for us to look in the eyes of our kids and to remember that we are the models. We're reproducing something. And we want to be reliable as we transfer what Jesus is doing in us. We want to teach them the right things. We don't want to be so consumed in ourselves that we miss the opportunity to invest in those kids. And the same thing is true in the body of Christ. We need mentors. We need leaders. We need investors. We need people pouring themselves out into others who are in such need. If you look at this idea, developing a, a, a leadership culture, and, and I really believe in this idea of developing a leadership culture because I think we're all leaders of some type. Now, you may not have a, a gift of leadership per se, and that's okay. You don't have to have been through the John Maxwell Leadership School of Ministry, but because you're a Christian, what that means is people are going to watch you, and people are going to copy you, which means you are you are. Uh, by that circumstance, lifted to the level of a leader. So look what has to happen. We have to do this. Leader and follower. Look what happens. The leader does something. It can be as simple as setting up outside in the lobby. How many people we got here who are on the setup team? Just raise your hand. Raise your hand. Yeah. Come on. Let's thank these people for their hard work. <laughs> Listen, these people are what makes church work for you. These are, these are, they're serving us. I appreciate them so much. How many people on the teardown team? Talk about a thankless job right there. Awesome. Way to go, teardown team. <laughs> Golf clap. Yeah, these people, you should thank them. These people are cleaning up after you. That's a blessing. So if you're doing cleanup or you're teaching somebody how to pray for another person or you're teaching about discipling, it doesn't matter what it is, but across that spectrum, here's what happens. You do it and somebody's got to watch with you. A principle of becoming a leader is you can never do ministry alone. Never do stuff by yourself. Always have somebody there with you. Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. There's a reason for that. Uh, so he, so he, here it is, do and watch. So the follower watches, the leader does, then the leader continues to do, and now the follower is actually helping. There's instruction, there's help, there's uh, uh, accountability. Hey, no, not like this, like this, all right? Don't set that there like this. Don't treat people like this. You need to call them when they're facing a difficult moment. You need to just be there. Well, what if I don't know what to say? What do I do? You don't have to know what to say. You just need to be there. It's not about knowing all the right things to say. It's about opening up your life to another person. It's about allowing that relationship and that friendship to develop. And you have to be there in order for that to happen. Then it switches. Here's what happens. Then the leader starts to help and bring accountability, and the follower really begins to do it. And you start watching that. It's incredible. And then finally, you're just watching, and they're doing it all by themselves. There is nothing more fulfilling than watching my kids do what I've taught them all on their own. There is nothing more fulfilling than watching people accomplish something that you've trained them and taught them to do. It makes me proud 
when I see that. It makes, me, it makes me so pleased in what Jesus is doing. And this is the picture we have to have of the body of believers. This is the picture you have to have in, a, in your life with Christ. Because the question you've got to answer is, who's discipling you? Who's pouring into you? Who's leading you like this? And then you have to ask the second question, who are you leading like this? Who are you pouring into? You may say to yourself, oh, I don't know, I just, I, I just haven't been a Christian that long, only a few years. Ah. You read the Bible, you start talking about what it says, you share what it's, what, what's going on in your own heart with another person, and you encourage somebody up beside you. You go through this process where you're learning the scriptures, and if you have somebody ahead of you, in front of you, leading you, you can go check it with them. Hey, I found this in the scriptures the other day, and this is really good. Is this, am I reading this right? And that leader can help you and can coach you, and then you pass on that to the next generation. There's something so important about this. We have to have this kind of transfer. We have to have this kind of investment. We have to have these kinds of relationships if we're going to be a real church. Everybody needs a Paul in front of them, and everybody needs a Timothy behind them. Everybody needs a Paul in front of them and a Timothy behind them. But notice what the Apostle Paul does not say about Timothy. He says some really nice things about him. But he doesn't say, Timothy is a wonderful Bible teacher. He doesn't say that. Timothy is a devout holy man. He doesn't say, Timothy is an amazing leader. You know what he says? He says, Timothy will care for you. Timothy will care for you. That's the definition of a good friend. That's the definition of a good leader. That's the definition of a good pastor. He cares for you. We care for one another. Timothy is commended because he cares for these people. And really, the truth is, none of us make it without somebody who will care for us. None of us can make it. Vonette Bright is an amazing woman. She was married to Bill Bright, who is an incredible pioneer in evangelism. Here's what she said. She said, no one can reach their full potential without another giving up their life for that person. No one can reach their full potential without another giving up their life for that person. This is essentially de the definition of parenting. <laughs> I'm giving up my life for these kids. I mean, they don't give anything back for a very long time. You're laying down your life. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You gotta, you gotta get in the body of Christ. You gotta understand that this is the way it works. Just as you feel this way about your kids, you give them anything. You do anything for them. You will invest. You will sow the seed. You will pour into them because you love them deeply. You must do that with others as well. And I know, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We live in a culture of isolation. We live in a culture where people are consumed with what they're doing. We're segmented. We're going here. We're going there. We're involved in all this, these different things. The kids got Little League. They got soccer. They got school. We got church over here on this side. And then I've got my hobbies. And my wife's got her hobbies. And we, I mean, you're just all over the map. It's a problem with our culture. Yeah. 
I don't know what the answer is. But here's what I want you to know, notice is the challenge, is we have an isolation culture. And now with the onslaught you know, of, of social media, we're kind of connected, but then more alone in many ways. And so it's a, it's a challenge to use that kind of social media correctly. And so we've got to develop real friendships. Look at the culture of isolation, isolation of success, all about busyness. I'm so busy, I got, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be successful at my job, or I've got so much to do, and my job's just working. I'm working 80 hours a week, and I'm just... Pretty soon you get isolated. You have no friends, you have nobody pouring into you, and you certainly don't have time to pour into other people, because, man, you got your own problems. This probably defines the majority of us. So many people need my help, but I got my own problems, man. I don't have time to do this. We become isolated. There's an isolation of fear. Man, in this economy, we got a lot of people full of fear and uncertainty. They're just uncertain about the future. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm so afraid. And it causes them to kind of withdraw. They try to somehow circle the wagons instead of reaching out to those who could help them. They become consumed with fear and uncertainty. Man, we're watching the stock market. It's bouncing around like a ping pong ball. And you're, you're, the people are afraid of what's going to happen, afraid of losing their jobs, afraid of what's going to happen to them. It's the exact opposite that should happen. More friends, more networks of relationships, more connectivity, real, genuine love for one another so that when the bad moment, when the difficult news comes, you have friends. Isolation of insecurity. Loners. I'm so insecure. I think so poorly of myself. I, don't, I, I know how bad I am, and so I can't reach out to anybody. Listen, there's a bunch of you like that here today. And all of the rest of you that you're like, that's not me. Well, you need to reach out to somebody who's suffering in their private world of isolation and insecurity, isolation of being alone, afraid of what other people will think of them. And then there's the isolation of failure. The isolation of failure is about how you have failed in the past and your past just keeps hanging on to you. You're not sure you can let other people in because what has happened to you is so bad. All of these things contribute to us being segmented, isolated from one another. The Apostle Paul is giving us a little insight. He's giving us a view into his worldview. He's giving us understanding about how the gospel works, how the scriptures work, how he's investing in Timothy, and then he's relying on Timothy and Epaphroditus, Papi. He's, he's encouraging them to, to invest in the next group of people in Philippi. Listen, solitude is good. Solitude has to do with being with God. Sometimes there are moments when you have to stand up with your own convictions and stand alone. There's no doubt about that. But if you have friends around you, a community of believers, it's much easier to stand alone when the need happens. Solitude is good. Isolation is being alone with yourself. Solitude is being alone with God. And that, that, I want you to see that. That's what I'm talking about. Most people choose their relationships just on the basis of their own comfort. But the truth is, we need people to speak into our lives, sometimes who will make us uncomfortable. 
sometimes who will tell us the truth. One of the foundation cornerstone scriptures of our church is Ephesians 4.15. And it says, speaking the truth in love will grow. We will grow and become every, in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I want you to write down speaking the truth in love. Truth and love is what genuine friendships are really all about. Speaking the truth in love is so important. Now this is what he's saying about Timothy. Timothy cares for others. He wants to serve them. He wants to give his life for them. Now let's read the rest of the passage here and talk about Epaphroditus. He says in chapter 2, verse 25, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger. From whom, or sorry, who you sent to, to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but uh, him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less, what does he say there? Anxiety. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Okay, so Epaphroditus was sick. He was working in the gospel. He'd been sent from Philippi and he's working in the gospel with Paul and he got so sick he was this close to dying. And Paul says, God had mercy on me. So that I wouldn't have sorrow upon sorrow. So what was the first sorrow Paul would have been experiencing? Uh, jail. Yeah, I mean, I mean many, many, many elements, but jail for number one. Paul had some sorrows. Wait a minute. Isn't this the guy who keeps saying rejoice in the Lord? Isn't this the guy that writes all through this letter about my joy? And then he says, so that God had mercy on me, and so I'm going to send him back to you so that I'll have less anxiety. Isn't this... Isn't this the guy that in the next chapter says, don't be anxious about anything? But in everything, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What is up here, Apostle Paul? Here's what's happening. He's pulling back the curtain in these personal remarks to give us a view of what's going on in his heart. The reason he knows about praying in the midst of anxiety is because he's had some. What he's showing us is he's not afraid to let other people in on his process. Leaders are not the kind of people that just stand up and tell you how to do it right, and they always need to be seen doing everything right. If we, those kinds of leaders end up being very disappointing because they can't be perfect. All they're doing is just hiding their imperfections. And sometimes we work darn hard at it. But the truth is, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, I want you to develop friends like these. Timothy, Epaphroditus, workers in the gospel, partners in the gospel. And I was so concerned about him. I love him so deeply. I love you so deeply that I didn't want him to die because I knew what heartache that would cause you. And it would cause me heartache. And I didn't want that. And so I don't want to have this anxiety. I've had to give it to God over and over and over again. So I'm sending him back to you so I don't have to deal with that anymore. See, what I'm talking about here is the kind of relationships that will let each other in. Not hold up a shield, not somehow, you know, uh, the, somehow looking at people who are beneath you in some way as a leader. 
and not looking up to people like, oh, I could never be them. That's not what we want. That's not what the church of Christ is called to. The church of Jesus Christ is called to a community of believers with mutual encouragement that will share their lives with one another, that will watch each other, copy one another, encourage one another, challenge one another, and make sure that we're growing in him. This is the only way discipleship really happens. we got to push through all the junk of our culture, and we have to make sure that this is happening. Here's the problem. If the enemy can keep us from building real relationships, he can keep us from making any disciples. If he can kind of keep us coming to church and suffering through a hot theater, we can't just, we can't just have these surface relationships where we come to church and kind of Enjoy one, uh, one another. Hey, hey, how's it going? Yeah, fine, that's great. You know, the, the, all the greatest lies are told on Sunday morning. How you doing? I'm fine. I'm blessed. <laughs> no, the issue, and, and, the, and the, issue is, the issue is not just in the lobby out here. Oh, my life is just terrible. No, you gotta have, you got to invest and develop a relationships where you can share with one another. I'm not talking about having to be the expert at everything. I'm just talking about being there when someone's hurting. I'm talking about being willing to find your way past all the other things you got going in your life to reach out to a person who is in need, a person that Jesus brings across your path. My opinion is, is that Jesus brings people across our path often. But many times, we are too busy to see them. We're too consumed in our own interests to see others. And so we've got to do this, we've got to do it well. We've got to make sure that we are the kind of people that Timothy and Epaphroditus is. So last thing I want to say to you, just a little, uh, some questions for you to answer about yourself. What kind of person are you? I take this from John Maxwell, who's a leadership author. It's fantastic. Here's four questions you can ask, four ideas I'm going to present to you. Four kinds of people. Here they are. Some people add something to your life. Some people are adders. They add something and you enjoy them. You know the kind of people that you just enjoy being around? People that it's no, it's, it's no big deal. They can just, you can hang out, you can watch a movie, you can see a really bad movie with them and it's still okay because it's fun. These are the kind of people that add something to your life. They just are a pleasure to be around. They, they're interested in doing something for others. People who add value to your life they do so intentionally. Becoming an adder requires that you give something of yourself to another. Knowing you adds something of value to others. So the question you have to answer today is, do you add value to other people? What do you bring to the table? What kind of person are you? Are you an adder or are you a subtractor? Some people subtract something from life. They they, they sort of subtract, they, they suck the life out of you. We tolerate them. We tolerate them. Now, here's the problem. Subtractors usually do what they do unintentionally. They don't even mean to do it. They're just rainy cloud guys. Who's, who's the Peanuts character? Pigpen. Or Pigpen, just walking around in a cloud of dirt. Oh, I don't know if things are going to be okay or not. Uh, uh. 
It's such a, a bummer. We tolerate them. Are you the kind of person that just walks around and, are, and, and is negative? Are you the kind of person who's cynical? Do you, have, do you use sarcasm as a poor substitute for, hum, for humor? You've got to ask this question because you're called to something more. You're called to be a person who adds something to another person's life, that adds something to them. You don't want to, nobody wants to be tolerated. Now, here's the deal. If you don't know how to add to others, then you're probably subtracting by default. Ooh, bummer. It's similar to building something and tearing it down. It takes skill to build something. It takes no skill at all to just rip it apart. Here's the third thing. Some people multiply something in our lives. Some people multiply something in life, and we value them. We need them. It only takes two things to be an adder. only takes two things to add something to people. Desire and follow through. Right? Desire, I want to add something, and I'm going to follow through and I'm do it. But it requires more to go to the next level. To go to the next level of multiplication, if you're going to multiply in your friends, if you're going to multiply what God's doing in you in another, then you have to be able to provide some intentional, strategic, skillful elements to their lives. You're going to have to engage in skillful behavior, greater talent and resources, the greater, greater the potential to be a multiplier. People like this have great ideas. They have passion. They have a servant's heart. They make everyone around them better. Do you know people like this? I know a whole bunch of people like this because they've been added to one chapel. I'm so grateful for guys like Marty Irwin. who He makes people around him better. People like uh, Spiro Stavros, making people better around them, adding value. Brent Parsley, there's something amazing about this team of people, and then people beyond them in their teams are starting to reproduce that. And why? Why are they doing it? Because they're watching and copying. Watching and copying. This is the fundamental principle, the idea. We've got to multiply what God is doing in us and share it with others and invest in other people. Number four, last thing, some people divide something in our life and we try to avoid them. We want to avoid these people. Dividers are so damaging because unlike subtractors, their negative actions are usually intentional. They're trying to, they're trying to, they're trying to make something happen that is negative. They're hurtful people who make themselves look or feel better by trying to make someone else do worse than they do. These are toxic people. Toxic people still need somebody to tell them the truth. So you got to get some courage. And let's be a healthy body of believers by even, even sharing with these people. And if they won't receive it, then there's a step-by-step -step process by which we deal with those kind of people, people that divide the body of Christ. They need to be coached, they need to be challenged, coached, and then if they don't do it, then they must leave. There's a, there's a, that's a legitimate scriptural principle. Um, I'm, and there's a process there that Matthew 18 outlines is so important to us. But we don't want to be people who, have, who divide. Here's what I'm telling you. Here's the final thing I want you to write down. Contentment is the satisfying return 
of the investment of friendship. There's something about friends who help you accomplish your purpose. They create tremendous confidence and contentment in your life. When you see people reproducing, there is contentment. When you see friends around you who are there to support you and encourage you, even when you're at your darkest hour, there is a satisfaction that goes beyond our own ability to soothe our own wounds. That's what I want for your life. That's what I want you to be for others. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you now. Close your eyes and bow your heads. And I just want him to speak to you right now. And I'm going to pray over you. And I want you, to, I want you to respond to him. Father, I pray for every person here today that we would become like Timothy. We would be willing to care for others deeply. Lord, I pray that we'd be like Epaphroditus who was willing to give his life, willing to work hard, to go to great lengths to serve other people. I pray that you'd help us to embrace the idea that we all need a Paul and we all need a Timothy. I pray right now for people who are struggling in their own self-esteem, they feel isolated, their own uncertainty, their own fears. Across this room, people who have withdrawn because their, their failures have consumed their minds. Their past comes up and, with, and holds them. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would break the power of that isolation in their hearts. Break the power of that lie. Break the power of the lie of the enemy that would want to keep them isolated from others. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you come and would you speak to every person? Open-hearted, yielded to you. Change us in a moment. Change us and help us to see ourselves the way you do. Help us, Lord Jesus, not to be consumed by our own success, full of busyness, without a heritage or a history. with no way to pass on what we know to another. Father, would you help us, every one of us, to live in a way where we are prioritizing, developing deep, meaningful relationships with community around us. That we would be like Jesus, lay our lives down for others. That we would embrace what you want for us, now I just want to take a moment and ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. I'm not going to embarrass anyone or ask you to come forward, but I do want to give you a chance to respond because if you're here and you're hearing God call you and you've been away from him, maybe you've turned away from him, maybe you're just here because a friend invited you and you realize you don't have a community like this, you don't understand anything about it, but what you're realizing is there's something here and you want to give your life to Jesus. That You want to accept what he did on the cross and you want to be able to belong to a community that lays their life down for each other. I want you to make a commitment to Christ, to let him in, to let him come and take over in your life. 
And so whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, I want you to respond. I want to pray with you. So would you just shoot your hand up in the air all over this auditorium? Anybody that feels like that, they're responding. Yep, I see that hand. Yep, I see you. Anybody else? Anyone else? I want to commit my life to Christ. Yeah, I see you, brother. Anybody else? Another one. Two, three, four, five, six. Anybody else? Jesus is hearing you, your heart today. He wants to hold you. He wants to grab a hold of you. And he wants to change you. He wants to take the dark past that you have. And he wants to transform it into his beautiful light. So I want us all to pray this prayer together. Everybody across the room, would you pray it out loud? Not because it's the magic formula or because these words are especially meaningful, but because your faith, your heart, you're putting your trust in Jesus. Come on, all over this room, everybody say it together. Say, Heavenly Father, come on, out loud and strong. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Forgive me for my failures, for my past, for my sins. I need you. Change me from the inside out. Make me a new person. Help me to see the world like you do. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving me. I make you Lord of my life. I choose to follow you today and always. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for every person who prayed that prayer that you would surround them, seal it, seal the work you're doing right now. Don't let the enemy come and steal it and take it. But, Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you surround them and would you lead them? Would you take them the next step in the journey of their faith? We thank you for this. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.